be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O God, our strength, our Redeemer. Help us, O God, as we think about this gospel reading, to be amazed once again at your grace and mercy. Amen. You may be seated. In 1905, a young civil servant who worked for a Swiss patent office published a paper that would change the scientific world. Albert Einstein's 9,000-word paper outlined his theory of relativity, which overturned how people thought about time and space. I'm not even going to try to explain, because I would confuse all of us, including myself, how he overturned how people thought about time and space. Some of you could do that better than I certainly could. But the London Times described the theory as, quote, an affront to common sense. With that paper, Einstein, of course, launched a scientific revolution. Well, Jesus does something like this in the field of religion. Because his teaching about how people are accepted by God is an affront to common religious sense. And nowhere is this more clear than in the parable that we read just a minute ago, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Because Jesus says at the end of this parable that it's the tax collector who went home justified rather than the Pharisee. This word justified is um, one of those golden words of the New Testament, like faith, hope, love. Grace, it's a key term in the Bible. And we often see it in Paul's writings, but here we have it in Luke, justified, and we have it from the lips of Jesus. The word justified is a legal term that comes from the courtroom context. And the idea is that God is judge. We saw that in the epistle reading. The Lord is a righteous judge. That's the biblical teaching that God is the judge. And all of humanity one day will be judged by God. We will stand before him as on trial. And the standard that we will be judged by is his perfect law. And so the question is, how can I be accepted by this holy God? What will it take for God to declare me righteous and justified in his sight? You know, I don't think too many people in our culture wrestle with that question. How can I be accepted by a holy God? How can I be righteous in God's eye? Except maybe I get this sometimes at a funeral. Because at a funeral, people finally reality sort of confronts them that this life is not all there is. And that if there is a God then one day I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account of my life. I think there is an innate sense for many people, again, that there's a higher standard that I'm going to have to answer to. And if there is a God, I will have to stand before him and give an account of my life. I remember one time preaching a funeral where a man who was not a believer came up to me afterwards and after the presentation of the gospel, talking about some of these things, he said, I think I'm going to have to reevaluate how I've been thinking about things. There's something about staring death in the face and confronting the reality of it that gives us this sense that one day we're going to have to give an account to God. So how can we be accepted by God? That's the question. 
And the way that most people answer that question is represented here by the way of the Pharisee. And I know that for us, Pharisee is a tainted term. Um, We associate it with hypocrisy and religious arrogance. But you've got to remember that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were revered by the Jews. They were the spiritual heroes of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, because they dedicated their lives to obeying the law of God. And they believed that by obeying the law of God, God would have favor on Israel and that God would deliver them because of their covenant faithfulness, because of their faithfulness to God, that God would deliver the people of Israel from the oppression of Rome. So the Pharisees were looked upon in general as spiritual heroes in their day. They sought to obey the law of God. Now we know that they added to, and this was a problem, that they added to the law of God. Because the Pharisees not only believed that you should obey the written word, but they had an oral tradition that they developed, oral teachings that they developed to put what they call a hedge around the Torah, a hedge around the law of God, so that they would have additional rules to make sure they didn't disobey the written law. And what happened in Jesus' time, and we see this in Jesus' critique of the Pharisees, is that these oral traditions really began to, uh, they looked upon them as on par with the, the written word of God. But in general, if you ask a Jewish person in Jesus' day, what does it mean to be a righteous man? He would say, you need to go talk to the Pharisee. There you'll see a righteous man. You'll hear what righteousness is all about from the Pharisee. In this prayer of the Pharisee, we see why he thought he was righteous. Look at this prayer. Verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. What What a prayer of thanksgiving. I thank you that I am not like other men. We have a time in our liturgy when we give thanks to God for things. I would be shocked. I think all of us would be shocked if we heard somebody pray that kind of prayer. I thank you I'm not like the guy sitting next to me. (laughs) But here's a sense that I am separated by other people because of my piety. And that's what the Pharisees, many of them believed, that they were better than others because of their piety. In fact, the word Pharisee means separated one. And he elaborates. Other men are extortioners, unjust, which means that they don't follow the law like I do or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And so you see what the Pharisee is saying. One reason he thinks he's righteous, one evidence of his righteousness, is that he's saying, I'm better than others. I don't do what other people do. It's about what he does or doesn't do. Then he talks about some positive things that he does do. Listen to this. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, this is impressive. Spiritual discipline. I doubt that there's too many people here that can say, I fast twice a week. But, but the Pharisees did. I give a tithe of all that I get. I wonder how many of us could say that. <laughs> I'm not going to preach on giving and tithing this morning. But he was somebody, by most standards of the day, who was righteous who was faithful to perform religious duties. And compared to other people, he was morally superior. 
at least by these standards. And yet Jesus says he is not the justified one. He is not right in the eyes of God. And I want you to take note of what Jesus said. Because I think many people still believe that the right way to be right with God is, in some way, the way of the Pharisee. Now, through my ministry, I've asked people, what do you think is the Christian message? I've asked people, usually this comes up when people are on the periphery of the church, and I began to just dialogue with them about what they think about faith. But I've asked this sort of question to people who've been in the church. What is the Christian message? Or I've asked this question, if you were to die and go to heaven... What would you say is the reason God should, or if you were to die and stand before God, rather, what would you say is the reason he should admit you to heaven, into his eternal presence? And the great majority of people that I've asked that to, again, both inside and outside the church, say something about the good works that they have done or that they try to do, or they talk about balancing the scales. Somehow, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. That, that's the conventional wisdom about how a person is right with God. And it comes down to this, trusting in yourself, as Jesus said, that you can earn acceptance by God through your good works or performing religious duties. It's uh, self-righteousness. And Jesus told this parable to counter that very belief It says here, Luke introduces this parable in verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And did you get the the next phrase there, the corollary here? They treated others with contempt. You see, that's what happens in self-righteousness is that we begin to think we're better than others. Looking down our nose. And it's, it's an understanding of the gospel of God's grace and mercy that cultivates humility in our life and in our community and our relationships. If you want to have healthier relationships in your marriage, in the church, in family life, cultivate humility by realizing that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The world is looking for a community, a church community that is made up of humble people who don't have contempt for others. And the reason they're humble is they understand what Jesus is teaching here. So God help us not to treat others with contempt by understanding that we're saved by the grace of God. This teaching is so simple. I mean, we've heard this before, but it's difficult to receive because it just goes against our pride. It goes against the grain of so much in our human nature. We're not justified in the eyes of God by what we do. And so we turn to the prayer of the tax collector. He shows us the way of justification. The tax collector is the one who is justified in the eyes of God. That's a shocking statement that Jesus is making here in the first century context. That is the tax collector who's justified. Now, next week, we're going to read about another tax collector who was justified in the eyes of God, who came to faith in Jesus Christ. His whole life changed, and that's Zacchaeus. We'll talk about Zacchaeus. And so we'll talk a little bit more about the tax collector and the role of the tax collector in this culture. But for the, but for the ordinary Jew, if the Pharisee represented righteousness and everything that we should be pursuing, the tax collector represented everything that was wrong with the world and what we should not be doing. The tax collector was the poster child for sin and corruption. <clears throat> Last week I saw a documentary on how the drug cartels are invading southwest, the southwest part of the United States. 
It was an interesting documentary because they were interviewing people that worked for the drug cartels. And these folks were talking about their business like they were selling, you know, cookies and crackers. It was amazing. It was just business to them. And one of them was a hired hitman for the drug cartels. And he talked about, he justified what he did. He put bullets in people's head because they couldn't pay back the drug dealers. And as I listened to them talk about their business and how they murdered people and how this was just normal business practice, I thought how sinful and corrupt they were, how dark and evil this whole system is, and that is something like what the ordinary Jew thought about the tax collector. They're involved in betrayal, in corruption, in greed, and collaborating with the oppressor. And yet it's G- Jesus says it's the, the tax collector who was justified. Why? Let's look at this. What's the basis of our justification? Look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What's he doing? He's invoking the mercy of God. He's appealing to the grace of God. You could translate this, be gracious to me, a sinner. And the point that Jesus is making, the revolutionary teaching of Jesus that is an affront to our religious common sense is that the ground, the basis of our justification before God is not in us, it's in Him. It's not found in us. It's found in the character of God who is gracious and merciful. We are not worthy to even gather up the crumbs under thy table, O Lord, but what? Thou art the same God whose property is always to have mercy. God is merciful. That is his property. That is his character. And so when we come to God acknowledging our sin, we are appealing to his grace and his mercy. It's as if the dam breaks, the floodgates of forgiveness open up. It's not that we have to grovel and pry grace from God's hands. It's that that we just have to accept who we are. We have to come home (laughs) like the prodigal son. We just have to come home to God and admit that we've been in a far country and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You have to admit it. You have to admit that you're sick before you get the medicine and go to the doctor. There can't be grace without repentance. But... As I have ministered over the years, I've talked with people, counseled with Christians who have said something like, Ben, if you, if you really understood what I've done, where I've been, the choices that I've made, then how could God forgive me? And I want to say to them, and I do say to them, I don't know where you've been or what you've done, but I do know this, that God is a God of mercy. A God of grace. And if you're here today and you feel that weight of guilt and shame in your life, look to Jesus Christ. Look to the God of mercy. We have to admit that we need the grace of God. And one of the problems that we have as religious people, is that we can sort of twist our religious practices into 
forms of self-justification or self-righteousness. Listen to this from Peter Toon, an Anglican theologian. He says, so many Christian people do really think that their good acts of kindness and concern for others commend their persons to God. They believe that their regular attendance at worship, their financial support of the church, and many other things makes them, even if only partially, acceptable to God. And the problem is not their service to others. The problem is not the good things that we do. We should be doing good things. Those are signs, they're evidence, they flow from justification. But the problem is that we believe that such service contributes to our justification. And here's what Peter Toon says. He says, before God, the judge, there's no possible justification through presenting who I am and what I've achieved. Before God, the righteous judge. There's no possible way that we can present ourselves and say we deserve, we've earned your favor. The way of justification before God The judge is to appeal to his mercy and grace. That's what happened to the tax collector in the temple courts in Jerusalem. Justified in the eyes of God. And you can bet that his life was changed, that he began to live a life of holiness and humility. Friends, trust in the mercy and grace of God alone for your justification We know even more about the mercy of God than this tax collector did because we know the name of mercy, Jesus. We know the place of mercy, the cross, where He bore away our guilt and shame. So when your conscience condemns you, when you reflect on all the ways that you have been wrong, when you are honest with yourself and you consider the ways that you fail to live up to God's standard, even fail to live up to your own standards. When you contemplate standing before God the judge, I hope your plea is the plea of the tax collector because Jesus is saying here, this is the way of acceptance. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And when we do that, we find grace and mercy, a gracious Savior. His grace is greater than our sin. That is good news. I hope that sinks into our hearts and minds in a fresh way today. His mercy and grace is greater than all of our sin, and He made a way for that through the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, help us to be people who are shaped by the truth that Christ is teaching us here. Help us to look to you, God, for our justification through your mercy and grace that we find in Jesus Christ. Work in us deep humility and gratitude for all that you have done for us so that we would not look on contempt with other, uh, towards anyone else, but would want them to find the same grace and mercy that we have found in you. 
We pray this in your name, Lord God. Amen.